0: Boundaryless Kayak Fishing Podcast with your host Mark Goodrow. All right, guys, I am back again. I apologize for the long delay between episodes. I have a feeling now this is just going to be a trend. Uh, We'll see if we can crank out a few more, but. let's just say we'll get them out uh, monthly or bi-monthly at this point. Um, as you know, it's it's summer up here in Minnesota, and you have to take advantage of the nice weather while you can, because once winter comes, uh, it can get pretty nasty. So anyways, have an awesome episode uh, in store for today. We're going to be mainly talking about musky fishing out of your kayak. So going to talk all things musky fishing and uh, see if we can give you guys some good tips and good pointers. And I'll talk a little bit about my trip uh, that I just went on with my buddy Taylor Cook and uh, kind of what we experienced and some takeaways. And I'm by no means a musky fisherman. Um, So this was a great trip for me and, and got my feet wet. And now Um, I'm not going to say I'm a muskie addict, but uh, it definitely makes me want to go fish for muskies a little bit more in the future. So anyways, let's get into uh, kind of the weekly stuff that we usually talk about. Um, So first I'm going to kick it off with the verse of the episode. And this is Deuteronomy 31.6. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, or the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So, just good words. Uh, just saying you're not alone. Don't be afraid. Uh, who was it? Grandma or something. I think it's my mom's grandma. My great-grandma. She always said, uh, to be afraid is to sin. So, don't be afraid. Lord's with you. And uh, it's a good one for me to read since... This last trip, I I couldn't help it. I got a little worried about the bears. Um, (laughs) It's funny. One of the the only reviews you could find on this particular stretch of river that we were fishing for muskies um, talked about how the guys saw a bear within the first, like, 100 feet that they were floating the river. So no doubt there are definitely bears in the area, and I'll get to that a little bit later. Um, what's new in kayak news um, really what I, i've seen lately you what's know, kind of caught my attention is uh, old town has come out with the autopilot that's the name of the kayak and it's got a built-in minkota trolling motor which is pretty sweet i've seen a lot of guys put on you know more motors you got the torpedo and and guys will just take a regular minkota or, or something like that and they'll find a way to jerry-rig it on the front or on the back um but this is really the first kayak that i've seen that was designed around um, a trolling motor so old town and uh, minn kota they have the same father company so they work together pretty tightly and specifically designed this trolling motor just for kayaks um and then they built the kayak around that trolling motor so it's if you guys haven't seen it yet you should check it out for sure Um, it's the old town autopilot 12 footer is probably the one i go with but i think they make a little bigger one too Um, looks like it comes on and off easily Uh, obviously you gotta have the trolling motor with you and a battery um, which are kind of the two big downsides i'd say is that you know you gotta carry that extra weight of a of a battery, they're making some pretty sweet lithium ones and some other type of batteries nowadays that are pretty light. Um, but still, definitely, if, you know, kind of one of those light and fast guys. It definitely isn't the boat for you. Um, also, other thing is a lot of people consider motors kind of cheating in kayak fishing, and you know, I wouldn't say it's cheating at all. I just say it's kind of a different game a little bit. Um, if your primary focus is going out and catching fish, well then hey, why not use whatever you can to your best abilities, right? Throw a motor on there, throw fish finders on there, whatever. If you're in it more for the quietness, peacefulness, um, and that kind of thing, well, then, yeah, it's probably not for you. Um, but for kind of a guy like me and I'd say a lot of fishermen, um, you know, hey, if you can use a tool and get it pretty cheap, you um, Why not, right? So you also have to have $4,000 to fork over for a kayak. But when you think about a trolling motor uh, alone can be sometimes two grand for one that's kind of has this uh, many amenities like this one. That gets me to the other point about this is that the uh, trolling motor on this does have a remote. So you can kind of sit back. You don't have to have a foot control or anything like that. You can put it around uh, your neck. And you got the remote, and then it has a spot lock feature, which is probably the primary feature why I would even consider buying it. Um, You know, rather than ever anchoring or anything like that, you just press spot lock, and that trolling motor uh, uses those GPS coordinates, and it keeps you, it says, within about a 5-foot radius of where you are. So that's kind of the it factor that changes it for me. You know, I don't really need a trolling motor to propel me across the lake, you know, a lot of these only go, you know, five to seven miles per hour. Yeah, that's great. But you know, I can pedal and a lot of people can paddle around four miles per hour, three to four miles per hour. So it's not like it goes that much faster, um, across the lake, but in terms of having like spot lock and some heavy wind, um, that would be a, a game changer. Um, i also mention another kayak out that was up for Kickstarter was the Jackson, uh, was it, Eric Jackson, I want to say. He kind of broke off from Jackson kayaks, and he's coming out with a, a carbon fiber kayak that's out on Kickstarter right now. That seems interesting, but it's also like $10,000. But we'll probably talk about that another time. Anyways, the lure of the episode. Um... I can't believe it's taken me this many episodes, granted it's not that many, but, um, the Whopper Plopper, so this is one of my favorite lures, uh, it has been for probably the past two years, as much as I hate to, uh, admit it, because it does seem like it's one of those gimmicky kind of lures that's more drawn to catch people than it is fish, but, um, that lure has won me more money than any other lure, um. so won me about 1,500 bucks, which is nice for a lure. Um, won me a, a new canoe Flint in a tournament that I won, and then uh, same tournament the next year I tied for third and took home a couple hundred bucks, and uh, it's helped me place in some other top ones. So, um, you know, the Whopper Flopper seems a little bit gimmicky, but it's basically a, it's a top water that you just, I mean. You can reel it as fast or as slow as you want across the water. You can kind of try to pop it like a little bit of a popper. Um, but I tend to cast it out and reel it back uh, pretty consistent. Every few seconds I'll give it a little bit more of a hard jerk and it'll yeah, spray up a little bit more water. Um, the, the Really the trick with it that I've seen is I, I try to get it as close to shore as possible. And I primarily use it mainly for river fishing. I don't do too much open water fishing with it, although I've heard a lot of guys having success even on open water. Um, on kind of some some shallow rock croppings and kind of along uh, grassy edges and things like that where it does have trebles hanging down, so you have to make sure you're in an area where you're not just catching grass or something the whole time. But um, awesome top water, uh, kind of like a torpedo in a sense, but... The propeller is on the back side of it, Um, but the key for me is is casting and getting really close on shore. Um, Sometimes I'll even essentially almost land it on shore, but once that thing's about to hit the water, I I try to start it going as fast as possible. So once it hits the water, it's getting that propeller spinning and it's moving, Um, and that can generate a lot of times some strikes right away, Um, smallmouth northern pike. They'll both nail it pretty quickly. I like throwing a little bit of a larger size. I throw like, I think it's the 130. And then I typically stick mainly to the bone color. Um, I've seen a lot of guys throw like, there's a monkey butt color is what it's called. Um, So I've seen guys throw that. You know, it's all your basic bait fish colors, but as a lot of you guys know, if you ever take a frog or most fish, most animals in general i'd say a lot of them have kind of a white or yellow or um, but yeah kind of that whitish underbody almost all frogs do and uh it doesn't matter what color they are on top um, a lot of them have that white underbody so i like to throw the bone color it's kind of an off white and it catches them so let's uh I'll take a quick stop there and then we'll get into the musky fishing portion. All right, guys. So kayak musky fishing. Um, talk about a thrill. I mean, I. so this trip that I went on, I sent my PB, which I've only caught like two muskies before this and both of them were pretty small. I've never really spent a lot of time targeting musky, um but this trip was a musky trip that's what we we're going for um, me and my buddy taylor did a ton of research uh just looking for spots uh picking the river trying to find the best stretch of water reaching out to buddies and friends and and people that we knew um just trying to get some information um i'll give a little shout out to jay too for for helping us out there and um it was just awesome, uh, the amount of information that we were kind of able to pull online, um, you know, going to Google, getting satellite, uh, top view of the river, just going through it, you know, in 50 foot sections and just dragging down the river. Um, you know, wh- what we're doing is we're trying to look for hot spots for fish, obviously fish magnets, right? We kind of knew some general areas that were going to work good, but, um, know we we got a lot of tips and people are talking about trying to go out when it's low water so uh, we heard a lot about if it's rained within the last few days it can make the fishing pretty tough Um, that water clarity gets muddy up a little uh, rivers run a little higher they just don't seem to bite as good Um, so you know we're kind of looking and hoping we would get a weekend where just uh, the weather there's not a lot of rain in the forecast the river is running a lot lower. Uh, I think when that run, river is running lower, it tends to congregate the fish into certain areas a lot more and they need that oxygen. So you know we were using that satellite imagery and going through looking for areas with a lot of you know rapids and uh, water turnover and you know a little bit of depth if we can see it just areas where musky can hide. You know, we're going at the end of June. A lot of guys hit in June, July, August, um, kind of really during that hot season, which uh, can be pretty rare for fishing, but it seems like for musky, this kind of uh, gets them eating. And so we're just targeting, you know, can we find any deep water or can we find anywhere that would be cooler or have more high oxygen content, places where these muskie can just... Um, sit there and wait and attack anything comes through um you know these guys are just predators right so they're born and bred um, to attack anything that might be a meal and the, what kind of attracted us to a river is, is i think that a river provides that kind of region um uh, a lot easier uh, i think it's easier to predict where the fish are going to be i think you can come across more fish uh, more easily than if you're going to kind of your typical lake um, you know they call muskie the the fish of about what's it 10,000 casts right so they expect you to take 10,000 casts before you catch a muskie and uh I'll tell you guys a little bit about how the, the trip broke down, but it, it was for a while there, is more like the fish of uh a hundred casts, or I'd almost i almost venture to say the fish of ten casts. But we'll get to, into that a little bit. A little bit more on just kind of preparation and everything, you know. Um we really dotted our I's and crossed our T's on this one. Uh me and Taylor have been planning this trip for gosh, it was probably seven months or so. Um, There's a big lull in there, you know, we're super excited about it, did a ton of research, and then we had a few months where we had to just sit back, wait for the weather, and wait for kind of season to come. And then those last months, we were just kind of building anticipation and trying to find anything that we could um, to key us in on lures, uh, spots, all that, right? Um, in terms of how we kind of broke it down, we did... It's supposed to be uh, about a, you know, 10 mile float and then we'd camp out for a night and then we'd do another, you know, 10 miles camp and another 10 miles and take out. So it's going to be a nice two nighter. Um, Things kind of ended up changing. Uh, So how we did it was we went ahead and we drove up really early on a Friday morning I got up at uh, about 3:30 my time I picked up my buddy and then we drove north uh here in the midwest to get to this river um so you know I probably was seven hours of travel time or so and um we did the old we, we weren't sure how many people were going to be around this region really and I'm really glad that we didn't end up trying to hitchhike because one of my ideals was um I didn't want to have to pay anybody to pick us up and to uh, take us to the entry or exit. So I was going to go ahead and uh, try to hitchhike it potentially, but we decided kind of against that. So I brought up just, I have an old bike and I brought that up. We threw it in back of Taylor's truck, came up, we dropped everything in at the entry point, And then I drove to the exit. Um, we tried to also picking an area that had a convenient bike ride where I didn't have the bike for 100 miles or anything. Um, but I took the bike in the truck, I drove to the exit point, then hopped on the bike and rode that to the entry. Um, it was about a, probably a 12 and a half mile bike ride or so. So it took a little bit of time, um, but we didn't have to depend on anybody else. It was free for us to do that little self shuttle with a bike um, worked out pretty good. The only thing that, that stunk for me having to do the bike ride is that Taylor got a fish for an extra hour. Or so while I was doing this whole process. <laughs> so, um, no, but it, it was good. Um, I just ditched the bike into the woods. Once I got to the entry, um, I knew I was going to be back two days and pretty heavily wooded. Um, I didn't think anybody would go back there and find it or anything. So I just kind of walked back about 10, 15 feet with my bike, just dropped in the woods, uh, tried kind of marking it or or knowing the general area. Um, And then, yeah, we took off on our little camping kayak trip. Uh, It was fast and furious for the first three to four hours. Um, we We were seeing fish, man. It seemed like every few casts. It had to be... It had to be within every 20 minutes we were seeing a muskie, um, and it wasn't long. Uh, I'd say within the first hour, uh, I boated my PB, uh, a 46-incher, and then I boated another one that was about 36 inches um, within the first hour. And <laughs> for not really having muskie fished, my buddy uh, was pretty shocked at the size and the amount of fish that we we're pulling in, um, it just doesn't happen that way <laughs> with musky fish typically, and so um, yeah, what happened on the 46 incher? So I came through. I uh, was throwing my Whopper Popper to start, and really what I I like to do, and I, I think this is helpful for kayak fishing for muskies, is if you can kind of downsize instead of using a full size musky lure. I kinda like using those larger bass lures. Um, A muskie will still hit those. You know, you hear all the time I got guys catching 55 inch muskies on a little crappie jig or a little walleye jig. You know, Um, these muskies will hit smaller baits. Now there's certainly times they can target them with larger baits, but really there's not a whole lot of need to do that. So, you know, if you can get away with kind of a smaller or a larger bass bait, should I say, you might as well do that, especially when you're a kayak. You're not dealing with as big of trebles, as big as lures. You know, you don't need a honking eight and a half foot musky rod or anything. Um, so I, I recommend that. So I was throwing this Whopper Plopper, which I kind of mentioned uh, earlier in the episode, um, and this is the same size, the same one that I, I've won a small mouth tournament with and and placed. Tied for third again. One, um, I really like that size. And the bonus for me was that I was hoping maybe there's smallmouth in the river too. And hey, I catch a, smooth, a few smallmouth on the way. So I was throwing a whopper popper, being the bank, uh, burning it back. Me and my buddy Taylor decided to kind of say, you know, it's a lot of different ways people go about it. You know, when you're fishing with a buddy for muskies on a river, um, obviously the guy that's in the front is going to have an advantage, and that's something that we we talked about a little bit and i've heard a few things um what we ended up doing is he he decided he was just going to take the right side and now it's going to take the left side of the bank Um, and that's kind of what we tried to do to start Uh, the other way i've heard of people doing it is you say um, two follows or a fish so um, if you get two follows by muskie then you switch you go behind and that other guy gets to lead the float um and if you catch a fish all right you're behind and then uh you know that guy catches a fish he's behind two follows you drop back so whatever it is uh, whether you get two follows or you get a fish um, you end up kind of going back the next guy kind of gets his shot Um, i ended up catching him little better to start. So I ended up just telling Taylor, go ahead and move in front. And then he ended up passing me in the whole musky catch numbers game. Um, But I I was actually fishing behind him, but I was fishing the left side, which uh, it took me about two fish before I realized it. But when I was fishing the left bank, it was a shaded bank. And so um, both my two big ones, the 46 and 36, uh, both of them came out of a, a large shade patch, which I think these musky were kind of, key, we were able to key in on them a little bit more. Once we realized that is, you know, they're sitting in that little bit cooler water, um, kind of after some rapids, a little deeper water that's shaded, and they're coming out of there. But I was coming through with that whopper plopper, and uh, all of a sudden there's just a wake. Um, I've never seen anything like this before because i mainly fish bass but um muskie are notorious just for following baits which is why you typically hear a muskie fisherman doing a figure eight after every cast one of the pieces of advice we got from a buddy that told us about you know this river is he said do a figure eight on every single cast said it does not matter you need to figure eight every cast and so we we found Figure aiding in a kayak is very difficult. Um, If you're standing up though, it is much easier. um, And probably a lot easier than it would be in a boat or anything actually. But as you know, standing up a kayak on a river can sometimes be a little daunting. Uh, Luckily this river was relatively flat. It it wasn't moving very fast. So it was pretty easy to stand and fish a lot of times. but I was sitting down the first time through with a Whopper plopper, and, and this muskie waked on it, and he had to be putting out, like, a six-inch wake. It was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, just following it for 20 feet, just putting out a huge wake. Um, and then I saw him just tailing it. I tried to go in a figure eight with a wobber plopper, but not a really easy thing to do with a topwater. I probably should have kind of dunked it down and, and kept it going, uh, but just didn't think about it fast enough and he just tailed away um, you know within a foot of my kayak and so I was pretty pumped uh, I definitely had the energy going so uh, you know my buddy he's Taylor's done a little bit more musky, and he said well paddle back up and flow back through it you know throw something different and you know I'm not really used to going back and trying to catch fish but you know, we're here for this specific species. I knew it was big. I saw it and I said, Oh absolutely I'll need to take another chance at this one. At least give it a shot. I, I didn't think anything was gonna happen. I figured the fish saw me or, you know, whatever. He's kinda spooked off. It's gonna be a while. But anyways it gave me time. I, I paddled back up. I, I took off the whopper plopper. I tied on a uh, black bucktail. Um you know, double spinner, inline spinner there. It had orange blades on it. It is the single musky lure that I own. Um, and I, so I threw that on and probably gave it around, I don't know, 10 minutes or so just to let the spot kind of cool down, let the fish get back in there. Um, but I got back above it. Stood up on the kayak so I could do a nice figure eight if I needed to. Taylor was getting out of filming his GoPro on. And uh, I floated back through it. it. Took like two casts with nothing. And then on a the third cast, I saw him come following this bucktail in. And I started going into a figure eight. Uh, that took, uh, gosh, I should probably measure the time, actually. We have it all on YouTube. So if you guys want to find it, uh, I do have it as an instagram link right now if you go to Boundless kayak fishing on instagram and you click on the link in the bio that should take you to the video otherwise you can try searching uh, taylor cook kayak river muskie fishing um, and that should get you to it Um, but i go into figure eight with this muskie that probably lasted 45 seconds or so um i've never seen on video uh, someone doing a figure eight this long before catching a fish let alone like a 46 inch fish um i think those bigger ones you know usually get a few turns and they either commit or they go away um but i I spent a long time figure eighting this fish and then i ended up doing kind of like a short loop so i was doing a full figure eight and then i just kind of did the back half of the eight so it's kind of a quick circle and I think that quick kind of circle uh, got that fish to to kind of turn it on a little, and he smacked it and I just leaned into it and set the hook um, you know a few minutes later we landed that forty six inch muskie. and it was it was awesome um, a ton of fun, and really just got the blood pumping for the trip. It was pretty crazy um gets me excited just thinking about it. Um, So, yeah, check out that video. I'm trying to think of key takeaways. So, I mean, we had awesome weather just in terms of having low water. The water was clear enough to see the fish pretty well. We had a few feet of clarity, probably around three feet or so, which was nice because we could see, you know, we didn't necessarily have to do a full figure eight every single time. I'd do kind of like a half turn out to see if anything was following it and then we could make another cast. Um, keying in on the shaded areas was just absolutely critical. Um, I'm trying to think. Going back on fish that were are following, we did that a few times throughout the trip. You know, if you get a good fish to follow and you're chasing musky, you don't see musky very often. So when you do see one, you better, you know, take your time and try to catch that fish if you can. Uh, same with open water fishing, right? You, you have a miss, um, you know, you're going to want to circle back, whether it be later in the day or you give it 30 minutes or something, you're going to want to circle back and try to go for that fish. Uh, mark that spot if you can and come back. Um, but, yeah, a lot, a lot of things were going our way going in that trip trying to think of if I have anything else. Um, but the other thing I would say is, is be prepared to land a big fish. I did not expect us to go out and catch a 46 incher, a 42 incher, a few 36 inches, and a few in the twenties. Um, I think I had about four or five musky and I think Taylor had around six or seven muskie. Um, and now in two days of fishing, although we only caught two of them the second day. So really is within those first few hours, um, we probably caught close to 10 muskie. You know, I was not expecting that. (laughs) I just grew up not thinking that you could catch muskies like that, but it was a little bit different in this specific stretch. Um, But be prepared. So, we brought the full musky net. Me and Taylor talked about this a while before we went out there. Was, how do we bring the big musky net? Um, it's kind of a pain to lug around. I don't have one. Uh, only he has one, and I didn't really feel like forking over 150, 200 bucks, whatever it is, for a really good musky net. Um, but we decided, if we're gonna go fishing for a big musky, we're gonna treat them right. Um, I didn't want to catch a big one and not be able to handle the fish and make sure it got back safely. So we did go ahead and we brought the big old musky net. Um, so that way you can let them, once you get them in the net, you can let them relax. They can gain their energy. You can pull them up, do a quick picture, get them back in the net, and then slowly release them. Um, so we went ahead and and we did that. On my two fish, I think he actually threw the lure in the net, which is nice. Um, so we didn't even have to try, attempt to really unhook them. He actually thrashed and tossed the lure in the net, so um, we didn't have to go through the whole process of unhooking a few of them. Uh, they did that themselves, which is convenient. Uh, but a lot of times it's not the case, so you have to be prepared with you know some good long nose pliers. Um, and then the other thing you have to do is bring bolt cutters. Um, Christine did a really great job talking about that last time. She basically said, if you don't feel comfortable unhooking a lure from a muskie, like you can't get in there, uh, and unhook it properly or in a timely efficient manner, just take the bolt cutters, cut it down at, you know, as far as you can go. And the fish will, the fish will probably either toss the lure or it'll rust out over time. Um. So that that's the advice. You got to make sure you have a proper net for them, you have proper pliers to get the lure out quickly and a bolt cutter in case you can't get it out. Um, you don't want to be jacking their jaw around or keep them out of the water and killing them that way. Um, give them a chance to live. Cut the lure um, if you can't get it out quickly and easily. And hopefully, you know, hopefully that big fish will be able to toss that in a little bit of time or have it rust out. The other thing um, about bolt cutters is you have to be prepared if you happen to have a hook go on your arm or something. Um, you know, you see it all the time on YouTube videos and stuff where a guy uh, cranks back on a big lure or you're trying to unhook the fish. This is probably more common. If you're trying to unhook the fish, he thrashes, you end up getting a treble in the hand or something. Um, I've seen some pretty nasty pictures and videos where you know these are going through the skin or dug in pretty deep. So that's another thing where bolt cutters are just critical. Is that you can um, you can cut them down very close to that hook so that you can either pull them out, which there's kind of a special technique to do that when you have barbed hooks, uh, or push the hook through. Because with trebles, if you don't have those bolt cutters, and you can't get it down to just a single hook. Um, you don't want to try to do it with multiple sets of trebles uh, there. So that's critical. The other thing that I brought, because this was a multi J trip, we're in the middle of the woods, um, not real close to a lot of help. Uh, I brought super glue too. So I thought, you know, if one of us does end up with a hook or the muskie you know, ends up biting one of us or something, puts in a pretty large gash, um, we have some good sized band aids and bandages. And I brought super glue to be able to close cuts up if we needed to. Uh, you need to be really aware, especially when you're taking these multi day uh, river trips, uh, you know, you got to be prepared if things go wrong. You know, also know your exit points. I knew we were going, you know, where the next bridge is, how far that next bridge is. I knew that there was a road the whole time uh, on the first day, there's a road that was only about half a mile maybe a quarter mile north of the river so I knew um, if we went north and walked for half a mile that we'd be out to a road and we could probably flag someone down within you know half an hour or so if need be so now I spent a lot of time not only looking at fishing spots but saying all right if there's an accident how do I get help Um, I can you know if you didn't know about that road that was probably only a 10-minute walk from the river for the whole first day, then you're deciding, oh, I'm going to pedal the next bridge and spend about, you know, four hours paddling rather than 10 to 15 minutes walking uh, north. So know those exit strategies. If something goes wrong, know what to do. Um, it's tough to know if you're going to have cell phone service or not. Sometimes uh, we really didn't until the end of the day. Um, on the first day. So, try to see if you can figure that out too, if, you, if you're if you gonna be able to have cell phone coverage in the area, that can make a big difference. Um, but also be a, be prepared. Uh, my buddy Taylor dropped his phone in on the far, first muskie. So said, where's my phone? Uh, we ended up finding it in the water uh, after about 10 minutes and surprisingly it still worked. But always kind of have a backup plan if you can. Uh, what ended up happening that cut our trip a little bit short, so we couldn't find our first campsite. Um, I, I even backtracked in the river. I knew we had to be right on top of it, um, but I could just not find where this campsite was. I, I don't think it's used very often, I don't think it's very well kept. Um, but we passed it, I went back up river, must have passed it again could not find it at all. Um, so me and Taylor decided that we would paddle the extra, extra few miles to get to um, a bridge entry point, And we would just camp at this entry point. It's not really necessarily a designated campsite, um, but we didn't have a lot of options because it was getting late. Uh, there were a few uh, places that backed up on the river, but I also didn't feel like comfortable camping on somebody else's land. Um, that can go one of two ways. Um, it can either be good and they don't even notice that you're there or they notice you're there and, and realize you're in trouble and help out and they're nice and stuff. Or, uh, they really don't like that you're on your property and, uh, they yell at you or, or hopefully they don't shoot you. So we decided not to go on anybody's property to camp. Um, There's one place that kind of looked like it might have been a campsite, but I think it was someone's property. So uh, later I think it turned out that it was someone's property. So I'm glad we didn't stay there. We just went to this bridge entry exit point and just camped out there. Um, And then that night, uh, the fun part. So that extra three miles uh, to the river float at the end of the day. And then we went to filter water and my water filter breaks. Um, and so that really just did not make the trip very fun from that point forward. Um, it's one of those things where I've never worried about having a backup water filter. But from now on, I'm kind of thinking it wouldn't be a bad idea. We did end up filling multiple little cups and bowls with water and then... Uh, filtering or sorry boiling the water that way so we did end up boiling water you know I knew we were going to survive it wasn't a matter necessarily of survival uh, we could always make a fire and boil it if we needed to I had my little jet boil camping stove and so um, I was able to boil some water it's just kind of a pain to get it boiling and uh, I could kind of only do small batches at a time so we we're just filling up whatever we could and that access to the water from that area was really clay and muddy so we're trying to we had to walk a little further to get to some good water um to collect it and then kind of go up the hill to boil it to where our campsite was and stuff so it kind of was a pain with the water um, and then I started getting a little bit worried about bears and did not get the best night of sleep of my life um I found that it always takes me two days or so to get comfortable camping in the woods. Um, those first one to two nights, I just, a lot of unrest, you know, I'm always hearing stuff and I'm usually sleep with a fan and kind of drown out the noise. Um, but when I'm camping, man, I just, I just listen to like everything and think everything's like a bear or something. Um, and I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of camping. I've, I went to school in Colorado and did a lot of backpacking out there and I've just done a lot, a fair amount of backpacking. Um, And you think I would be used to these things by now, but I'm just (laughs) not. And I did have a bear break into my car, uh, once in college and eat all the food for like five guys for five nights or something like that. So, um, I have had a bear break in and take food and it's a mess and a pain. And so I don't know if that also plays a kind of a factor of, I know they're out there. I know if they want the food, they can probably get it. Um, I also struggled at this campsite, really finding any good trees to hang the food bag. Um, I looked around, plus it was getting dark and just there were, not a good spot, uh, to hang a food bag. So we ended up actually just leaving it on the ground. Um, and I have kind of a soft side Yeti cooler, which should be relatively, shouldn't have a lot of scent leak through that, but still, um, these bears can, can smell anything. And I guess more than anything, I was hoping that with the noise you're making, the fire and, you know, our sense that they wouldn't bug us this isn't a regularly uh, a lot of campsites that have trouble with bears are very regularly visited people leave a lot of scraps around or whatever and then bears are used to coming and taking food um and that's where you run into issues is they get into food a few times and they just keep coming back and coming back until basically someone has to come and put it down um, and I knew this wasn't really one of those areas where you heard about issues of bears or, or food or anything. So I knew it was extremely low chances of it happening. But still, in the back of my head, I knew that it is a possibility. Um, so, anyways, uh, I got horrible sleep. Um. And, uh, eventually I thought I heard something making a pretty big ruckus and I kind of yelled at it. And then I got up in my tent to go to the bathroom and saw that everything was pretty well intact and nothing had messed with it. And I felt a, a little more at ease at about three in the morning. And so I slept in from three to about six. <laughs> so I probably got three hours of sleep, sun rose, uh, probably around six or so. And, uh, I don't know the fact that we broke the water filter um we caught a ton of fish within those first four hours but we basically did not see or catch any fish the last oh gosh six hours of the trip granted we had a paddle a lot more than we needed to in the first section but still we weren't getting like any followers or seeing any fish in like the last six hours of that trip um, so I, I talked to Taylor and said, Hey man, like we got crappy sleep, wire filter's broken, it's kind of a pain to boil water. The next stretch we could just skip um the exit point was six miles past where we were supposed to camp. So I said, you know, we could push that six miles in about, you know, two hours if we were paddling as well. Um so I said, you know, do we just put an extra two hours in at the end of the day and just get back to the car? And truck it home. And uh, that's what we ended up doing. So it was quite a trip. I mean, we drove up there. I did a 12 mile bike ride to kick it off. And then we did about 15 miles of river float and paddling. Granted, this river does not flow very fast. So we did a lot more paddling than floating. Um, about 15 miles camped, another 15 miles or so. Um, so it was a quick, two days, but lots of musky, lots of big musky, Um, but yeah, I was just kind of after that short sleep with the water and the unease of sleeping at night with bear issues and stuff and not being able to find the campsite, not seeing any fish within the last six hours. I kind of was like, let's make that our plan. Unless we really like start just smacking the fish, you know, we start catching a lot of musky, then, you know, maybe we'll stay that, that second night, but we started that second day and I got a follow. I got one decent follow from a fish that looked like it was probably in the 30s. And then Taylor caught two in the 20s, and that was it for that whole day. Um, nothing like the first day. We did notice that the water in the area was just, it was different. Um, man, just it seemed like a total lack of, of life along the river edges and not a lot of churning water, um, a lot of shallow water areas. Uh, it was not the same river area and I just don't think it holds a lot of fish in that area so I'm kind of happy with our decision to push through uh, and not even like smallmouth or anything you know you think you would I think I I caught one smallmouth the second day but you would think floating a river like that all day you would at least catch a few smallmouth or some other things or i don't know maybe a few more smaller muskies or something but it was pretty dead that second day so i'm glad we kind of pushed through got out of there i would, would have rather just floated the same section a few times um you know we probably even could have paddled maybe up river just done the float a couple times or something but anyways i mean that's musky fishing it i mean like that second day that seemed like definitely a lot more of, of what muskie fishing truly is is you know, you got to put in the hours and grind and, and do all that. But after those first few hours, it makes it hard to, <laughs> to sit there patiently and try to get on some. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of the trip. Um uh, trying to think of any other key takeaways. Um, I think we talked about travel a little the bike shuttle the bike shuttle is pretty cool um i've also heard of guys doing rollerblading shuttles so um you know me and my buddy taylor we do a fair amount of little river trips and stuff uh on the mississippi too and, and we've been doing this kind of bike thing more recently um, you know it might take you half a day to float six miles but you can bike six miles and you know half an hour so we'll do the shuttle you put in your little work ahead of time do the quick 30-minute bike ride and then you got yourself half a day off, uh fishing no shuttle charges or anything like i said some people if you got a good road or a good path or something you can also uh, use rollerblades people like to use rollerblades because you can easily throw them in your kayak um can't really throw the bike in your kayak so you gotta lock it up or kind of throw it in the woods or something like that and hide it um, but with the roller blades, you can just actually throw them in your kayak and just uh, float down with them. So that's kind of a, a, the cheap, easy way to shuttle. And then, yeah, just preparation for landing big fish, making sure you're prepared: big net, pliers, bolt cutters. Um, make sure you're ready. Make sure your reels and your your. Uh, rods can handle that extra weight use those extra heavy or heavy rods uh, to throw those big lures um, And make sure you're real, you know tighten down that drag make sure you have a strong reel. I like using bait casters um, But I like to try to get the fish in as fast as possible so you're not stressing it out too much I know you can land them on you know eight pound line whatever, and take it super slow But I want to get them in pretty fast. I don't want to tire them up too much uh, Keenan on shaded spots, talk about that. Um, like I said, that's really something that uh, I didn't mention at Taylor until I had a few boat fish in the boat. And I said, you know what? All the fish have come from shaded spots. And then he started taking over the shaded spots and leading it and stealing all my fish from me. <laughs> and then, uh, yep. Low water levels, clear water really helps. Um, the clear water for me, I mean, I, I know the fish can see the lure better. Um, I don't, I don't know from the fish's point of view how much of a difference that clear water makes, Um, because we're throwing some pretty loud lures and and a muskie is going to be able to key in and find that pretty fast anyways, I think. Um, So I don't know how much the clear water was for the fish, more or more for just being able to see your lure and see a follow. I'd say that was kind of more maybe more of the critical part about clear water is that you could kind of see those fish follows a lot better. because um, otherwise you're you're figure eighting and you don't know if you got a follow or not. You know, if I when I caught that 46 inch, I went back and got them. Um, if I couldn't see into the water, you know, a foot or two. I would have stopped the figure eight after about, you know, one or two figure eights. I would have never kept going that long. Um, Never. So, you know, it's really critical to be able to see uh, a little bit in the water to at least see follows and then keeping uh, running the figure eights, uh, even with a few feet of clarity. Sometimes, you know, it can be pretty tough to see them. So it's always critical to do do a solid figure eight at the end of each cast. Um, and really, I mean, you gotta be paying attention. this is one of the things that like, if you're a good musky fisherman, you're paying attention to that. Um, a lot of guys, especially beginners, uh, don't pay attention to follows. And that's something that a good strong angler will do. Um, I actually took my buddies out for a fishing trip for uh, the morning of my wedding. And so we rented out a pontoon boat uh, from a fishing guide here. And there's like eight of us that went. And my buddy ended up having a massive pike, um, upper 30s uh, pike following a spinner bait. And, you know, what does he do? He pulls a lure right out of the water, right? He doesn't even think about it. He's not looking at all. He's just thinking about the next cast or thinking about something else. Um, but he definitely wasn't looking for anything following that bait. And, and uh, especially when muskie fishing, Pike will do it occasionally too. Pike will usually bite a little faster, but um, especially when musky fishing, you gotta, you gotta be looking for the follow, looking a few feet behind your lure, um, under your lure, behind the lure, wherever, and making sure you're doing that figure eight, Um, always check the leader if you're using like a fluorocarbon leader well first of all always use a leader whether that's steel, titanium a heavier fluorocarbon you know 80 pound, 100 pound, whatever it is Um, always check that after a fish Uh, if you do get a follow don't be afraid to go back and try to catch that fish after 10-15 minutes or so Um, always be prepared to uh, if you find a fish, take another shot at it. Um, yeah, I, I think that's really all I got right now. Like I said, I'm not a musky pro or anything. Um, but that's a little bit kind of about the trip, uh, what I experienced, how it went. Um, do your research. There's a ton of ton of good things out there on the internet you know me and taylor have been working our butts off trying to keep this spot a secret (laughs) um but once you kind of know what river you're keen in on um, you can do a lot of youtube video searching a lot of forum searching to try to narrow down spots and get tips and stuff like that so i mean just do your research and, and you can find a lot out there for specific River systems or lakes or, or whatever. So anyways, guys, I wish you good luck. Um, it is a blast landing a muskie in a kayak. I will say that. I'll definitely be doing it more. Um, I think me and Taylor are thinking about making this a more of an annual trip now um, just because it was that fun. Um, and like I said, you just don't catch muskie like that uh, really anywhere else. Uh, so anyways hopefully you have a few uh tips and learned a few things in there and i hope you guys uh, are able to get out fishing enjoy it i'll uh i'll catch you guys later thanks again for tuning in bye thank you for tuning in to the boundless kayak fishing podcast enjoy your time on the water